So we're all still alive. The world did not end last Saturday. That's a good thing. And if it did, we, what, we missed the boat or something, okay? But thankfully, the world did not end. So did, did, you, did you hear about this? This Christian numerologist who said that the Bible held the, all of these clues, these numerical clues that the end of the world was going to happen from this planet X that was going to collide in and destroy Earth last Saturday. Well, the guys come back out and said he was wrong. It's actually going to be, what was it? October 21st. I guess he forgot to carry the two or something, okay? Yeah, so apparently now it's going to be October 20, 21st, and this is, this is going to be apparently the beginning of a series of cataclysmic events and weather anomalies and wars, and so apparently he's a, really, he's a real genius to say we're going to have some bad weather and war because that's pretty much what's going on right now. But, you know, people have always been fascinated by the end of the world. Ever since, I mean, going back to Nostradamus, if you've ever read some of his predictions, or remember the whole Mayan calendar thing back in 2012? So the Mayan calendar ended, so it was going to be the end of the world, and, and then December 12, 2012 just came and gone, and then they said, no, that's not what the calendar meant. But it's, it, so all the time, constantly there's this fascination about the end of the world, okay? So even today, it's not just like people in the past are we, kind of weirdo, wacko, uh, Christian numerologists. No, that even today, I mean, we, that people look around and see we've had, we've had hurricanes like the U.S. has never seen before. There are wars going on. Afghanistan, the longest standing war that the, the U.S. has ever been involved in. Wars in Syria, Turkey. Um, so you begin to wonder a little bit, like, is this the end of the world? Are these the signs of the end of the world? Um, I, in fact, I even had someone comment on one of the, the connection cards a week or two ago and ask me that. With everything going on, like, is this the end of the world? So my short answer is, I don't know. Jesus was really clear that we will not know when the end of the world comes. But we will be ready. And we can understand what the, the Bible does talk about, about the end of the world. Um, but to predict it, that the, the Bible never once says we should be predicting the end of the world. Well, the Bible does talk about that we should understand it and that we should be ready. That's very different than trying to predict it. In fact, it's almost the exact opposite. Because trying to predict it means if, that I'm not going to do anything up until October 20, 20th, and then the 21st I'll worry about it. Okay? But so, so, so that's not what the Bible talks about. And, and we're going to hit some of that today. It's also a little shorter of a sermon, so I'm going to keep it pretty simple today. We're in this series on the Apostles' Creed, so like we do every time we're going to start, I'm going to read the entire Apostles' Creed. And if you want to read along, if you've been a part of this series, or if you grew up in a church that recited this, you're welcome to read along as well. Um, if this is kind of new and you just want to listen, you can do that. So here we go. I believe in God, the Father Almighty creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again. As he ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. 
I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Now, up to today, up to today's sermon, the, the, the creed has talked about things in the past, okay? God created the heavens and earth in the past. He sent his son, the second person of the Trinity, to earth. Jesus was born. He was crucified. He died. All of that in the past. He rose from the dead and ascended to heaven. That's all the past. And then last week, we talked about one line that's currently the present, that he is seated at the right hand of the Father. So that is what Jesus is doing right now while he intercedes for you, while he prays for you. He is seated. He sometimes even says he's standing next to the Father, but he is seated at the right hand of the Father. So all of that was the past and the present. Today, the creed shifts, and we talk about the future. We talk about events that have not happened yet, particularly the line, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Now, some of you just got anxious. Okay? Some of you, maybe your defenses went up. Maybe the air around you got a little thick because I'm talking about judgment. And there aren't many people who like talking about judgment. And my guess is most, if not all of you, and certainly me as well, don't like being judged. Don't like being judged by your parents for the job you have or the job you don't, for the tattoo you got or the hair color you have. You don't like being judged. Or if you have one of those friends who's really judgmental, you probably don't like hanging around with them. And if they're part of your circle, you you wish you could just, just like ditch them and run, okay? But generally, we don't like being around judgmental people. Being around a judgmental person is not good news. So why is this statement part of the Apostles' Creed, part of the good news, which the Bible translates as gospel? Why is it so good that Jesus is going to be judgmental? Well, here's why. Because most of us don't like judgment, but we like justice. We like justice, this concept that someone who has done wrong will receive appropriate punishment or consequences for their actions. They will be held accountable for their actions when someone does wrong. That's, that's justice. And justice is a huge theme in our world today at least in the, in the United States, and it's a huge theme. I mean, we see, you can't watch a football game this season without thinking about justice because the, the protests with some football players kneeling, that is fundamentally about justice. They are protesting what they see as injustices to African Americans. And so they're, they're taking a stand or a knee to protest this. Some of you might agree with this. Some of you might disagree with this. Some of you might just want to watch football. Um, but this, our world is all about justice right now. Even the Charlottesville um, protest, the Unite the Right rally, that was about justice. 
Because just, just like the football players who kneel, who, who see an injustice, the group down at Charlotte of white nationalists or white pride people, whatever you want to call them, neo-Nazis, whatever, that they saw an, a perceived injustice against them and those that are like them. So justice is a major theme in our country today. And generally, we all like justice. We often have differing views of what justice could be, what justice looks like, but we all want justice. So how is it that we can dislike judgment, but we can like justice? And here's kind of the secret to it, is we all want justice, except if it's against us. When we're the ones doing wrong, when we're the ones saying things to hurt somebody else, then we want grace. When it's somebody else, we want justice. But when we're the ones who are in the wrong, I don't see many people like fighting for their own punishment. So we, we love justice, but we hate judgment. The reality is, it's the same thing. We all are just very self-absorbed, and we don't want the pain of our own decisions. We don't want to be held accountable for our wrongdoing, for the really hard, mean words you've said to your spouse, to your kids, to your parents, to the really bad choices we make. We don't want to be held accountable. That's when, we, that's when we're all preaching grace. So as I talk about judgment here, keep in mind Judgment and justice are the same thing. Now, I'm not saying every judgmental person is justice-minded because sometimes judgmental persons are self-righteous and vengeful. Okay, So that's not what I'm saying. But it's two sides of the same coin. So as, as I talk a little bit about judgment here, keep that in mind. Keep an open mind that it's a good thing. So, this part of the, uh, the Apostles' Creed talks about two events, one called the second coming of Jesus, or Jesus' return, the, the other is Judgment Day, or sometimes called Final Judgment. And we're, we're going to hit the first one, Jesus' second coming, just a little bit, and then we'll hit the second one a little deeper. So, for this first one about Jesus' second coming, I want to give you a single sentence that summarizes about the dozen or so passages in the New Testament about it. And this is widely agreed upon among um, people, Christian uh, theologians and pastors who see the Bible as their authority. So here it is. Christ's return will be sudden, personal, visible, and bodily. Christ's return will embody those four characteristics, sudden, personal, visible, and physical. First, it will be sudden. Jesus over and over again said, you need to be ready because you never know when I will come back. He told parables about it over and over and over again. So his return will be sudden. Also, it will be personal. Okay? In other words, it will be the person of Jesus Christ. This won't be vague, in other words, every, excuse me, everybody will know. When Jesus, came, excuse me, when Jesus came the first time, some people didn't believe he was Messiah. 
The second time, everybody will believe. The second time, it will be very obvious. To borrow a phrase from the Old Testament, when Jesus came first, he came as a suffering servant. Okay, that's, out, that, that, that's a phrase used in the Old Testament. Um, second, but when Jesus comes again, when Jesus comes a second time, he will come as a conquering king. So it will be very personal. Second, it will be visible. It will be very obvious. The language, even the metaphorical language that Scripture uses to talk about Jesus' return, it talks about clouds coming in power, coming in glory, trumpets, angels' calls. Now, what of that will be literal? What of that will be figurative? I don't know, but one thing's really clear. It's going to be very obvious. Lastly, it will be physical. The angel, after Jesus ascended, the angel said that he will return in the same way he left you. And he left as in a physical body, which means he's coming back in a physical body. This is not a spiritual return. This is a physical body. So, so when the, the Apostles' Creed says he will come again, that's what it's talking about. Jesus' second coming will be sudden, personal, visible, and physical. Now, there is a lot of disagreement outside of those four things, outside of that as to when he will come, what's the order of events when he will come, will he, when will, will believers return to God. Um, there's a lot of disagreement. Theologians have been arguing this for centuries. But there's one thing that is agreed upon consistently that Jesus' return will usher in Judgment Day. Exactly how, exactly when, and exactly what timeline, that's debated. But it is absolutely clear and agreed upon by theologians that Jesus' second coming will usher in Judgment Day. So, talking about Judgment Day, I want to hit, I want to answer three questions. Three very simple questions with a few simple verses. First, who will be judged? Second, on what basis will they be judged? And third, what are the consequences of judgment? Who's going to be judged? What's the basis? And what are the consequences? And this is talked all throughout the New Testament. For any one of these questions, I could have picked three or four different verses. I, I, I tried to pick one for one or two for each one that, that gave you the best snapshot to answer that question. Because both Jesus and Paul, who wrote the letters, they answered these questions. So first, who will be judged? <coughs> Excuse me. So Jesus answered this question. So when, when he taught in Matthew, at the end of Matthew, about the, the uh, final judgment, here's how Jesus answered. When the Son of Man comes in his glory... And all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another. So the answer to this question, everybody. Everybody will be judged. <clears throat> and scripture is indefutable about this. There will not be any group or person or race or ethnicity that will not be judged. Everybody will be judged. Okay. 
Uh, and that's why, the, and this phrase that, that, that we find in the Apostles' Creed, that he will judge the living and the dead. So that means those who are alive, whenever Jesus comes, they will get judged. And those who have already died, they will get judged. And incidentally, that's part of why that phrase, the, the dead part, is in there. Because people were really worried that if, if their loved ones had already died, they would miss Jesus' second coming. Because like, it's like they were out of the room. <laughs> But so they wanted, so Jesus wanted to make sure that everyone knew, and the writers of the, the Apostles' Creed wanted to make sure that everyone knew that even if someone's dead, they won't miss out on Jesus' return. So let's hit the second question. On what basis will they be judged? On what basis will they be judged? Okay? So I'm going to share two verses that seem to contradict each other. Two verses that say totally different things. First, Jesus talking in John 5. Let me read this. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes in me, uh, believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Okay. So that we are judged on what we believe about Jesus and what we believe about the one who sent Jesus, in other words, the Father. Now let me read Paul out of 2 Corinthians 5. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So, according to Paul, we will be judged on our behaviors. We will be judged on whether we do good things in our life or bad things in our life. Anyone else a little puzzled by that? So which is it? And the truth is, I could line up verses under each of those categories that talk about both. So really, are we judged by our faith in Christ and Christ alone, or are we judged by our behaviors, whether we do good things here on earth or bad things here on earth? So which is it? It's both. It really is both. And we see that throughout Scripture. But here's the catch. And here's, here's the catch. Why we can't just simply dismiss one over the other is that our belief in Christ results in doing good. Let me say that again. Our belief in Christ results in doing good. If you are not doing good, the breakdown isn't in your behavior. The breakdown isn't in your, your schedule. You know where the breakdown is? Your love and obedience to Christ. That's the flaw. If you, if you are not blessing other people, if you are bringing curses rather than blessings, if you are not leaving the world better than the way you found it, if you're doing good, the breakdown is in your love and your obedience to Christ. So that's why these two seemingly contradictory things in Scripture co can actually coexist quite well. Because doing good is a byproduct of our belief and obedience in Christ. And we see that exact statement talking about in Scripture. That our, our works, the things we do, are evidence of our faith. Now, what about the people who do a lot of good but don't believe in Jesus? Does that save you? No, it doesn't. 
because they're doing a lot of good for a different reason. So the old, the old balancing act of how much good versus how much bad you do. Uh, if you watch it all, this, this new uh, TV show, The Good Place, it's on season two right now. The, the beginning of, the, the, of this TV series had a great illustration, and that's exactly what they talked about. They weighed all the good that you did and all the bad that you did, and, and, it, and if you had enough good, if you did enough good and it outweighed the bad, then you end up in the good place. That's not what Scripture talks about. Scripture talks about, are you doing good because of your love and obedience to Christ, your belief in Him? So that's how we will be judged. It's not as simple as you going before Christ as judge, do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes. Does your life demonstrate it? And Jesus had some rough words in Matthew 25 for those who claimed belief but did not act out of their belief. They, they were sent away from Christ's presence. So, how are we evaluated? By our belief and obedience to Christ and the good works that come as a result of that. Remember, the good works are not what saves you, but they are evidence of what has saved you. Lastly, what are the consequences? What are the consequences here? So let me, let me read you out of Romans 2. Romans 1 and 2 have this amazing passage about judgment. Here's a section of it. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. Jesus described the same thing. He used the phrases of eternal punishment and eternal life. And those are a couple rough results of judgment. Well, one of them is at least. And we don't like to think about that. We don't like to think that some people will be sent to hell, to be apart from God forever, and to suffer as a result of that, to be outside of all that is good and all that is lovely and all that is trustworthy, to have all of that gone in your life. That sounds pretty rough. But that's the reality. And if someone did not want to be with God in life, why would they want to be with God after life? And the Bible is very clear that there are two places. There is heaven and there is hell. And we all want to believe in heaven. Well, we don't all want to believe in hell because that's a terrible thought. But that's the reality. So, so I've, I've shared a little bit of explanation, a little bit of theology for you, but my guess is for most of you, if you've been around church at all, you have not heard a single thing today that was new to you. If you've been around church, now if you're new to church, th this might be, wow, dude, I've, never, I've never heard that before, but if you've been around churches, my guess is you haven't heard anything new today. In fact, you are probably saying, this is exactly what I would expect a pastor in a church to say to me about judgment. And you know what? That's true. 
This is what you should expect because this is what the Bible talks about. But it raises the question, what difference does it make? In a sense, so what? Well, I have two so what's for you today. One is for those of you who have agreed with the things I've talked about today. Maybe you agree with the, um, with the Apostles' Creed. So for those of you who agree, there is one message that Scripture says repeatedly to answer the question of so what about the final judgment. Jesus says it, Paul says it over and over again, and he says it's this. So we know there's going to be a final judgment. If you agree with that, you know, the so what is be ready. Be ready. Jesus talks about being watchful. He talks about being on guard. But over and over again, that is the single command that, that the Bible tells believers when it comes to the final judgment is be ready. Now, what does that mean? Like, should I have my bags packed? Like, like if Paul's pregnant, I have the bag packed. We have to go at any point. Is that what be ready means? No, not really. But it's a mindset. So let me ask you, for those who agree with what I've talked about today, is the fact that there will be a final judgment and we don't know when it's going to come, did that affect your week? This last week, did that affect you in any way? If not, you're probably not thinking ready. You're not thinking being on guard. Here are just a few examples. Think about this. Did, did this idea of Jesus' return affect how you spent your time? Where you invested your time? Did it fill you with hope when you faced a crisis, when you faced a lousy day at work, was it Jesus' return that filled you with hope? Did it enable you to resist uh, temptation and sin because you knew at some point you would stand before Jesus and you would be accountable for all the sin you committed in your life? Did that motivate you to say no to something? Okay. Did, it, did it at all affect how you spent your money? where your money went, what you bought, what you didn't. I mean, did you think about Christ's return at all last week? Now, truthfully, like, kind of me to you, I, I barely did. And I knew I was going to be preaching on it. And I don't think it affected my daily life other than my preparation of a sermon and reading. But I don't, I, I don't think I could have answered any of those questions that I just asked. So what about you? If you were kind of 0 for 5, maybe what this means is for you to call out and to, to be watchful, be on guard, be prepared, be thought-filled about Jesus' return. And lastly, uh, it, lastly, this one is for the people who disagree with what I've talked about today. And now if you, if you disagree, then I want to give you I want to give you a couple ideas. First is to understand that you are rejecting a major premise, fundamental premise of the Christian faith for 2,000 years. You are free to reject it, but I would, I would probably challenge your definition of being a Christian. 
And it's okay if you're not a Christian and reject this, if you do not claim the name of Christ. But if you claim the name of Christ and you still reject some of this, I would challenge you on that. Because this is pretty clear in Scripture. And it's been fundamental to the church for 2,000 years. You can't reject 2,000 years of church teaching without some consequences. And then lastly, if you disagree with some of this, I want to ask you the question. Are you disagreeing because it's not true? Or are you disagreeing because you don't want it to be true? Simply because we don't want something to be true doesn't make it untrue. We can't pick and choose what we want reality to be. So wrestle with that. Are you rejecting it because it's not true? Or are you rejecting it because you don't want it to be true? So with that, I want to close as we all recite the Apostles' Creed. Something we do each time, and and we'll only recite up to the part we've studied so far. So go ahead and stand up. I'm going to pull it up on the screen here, and we can recite together. And if some of this, if you don't believe some of this, that's okay. You don't have to say it. But if you believe it, this is your chance to stand before God, stand with your your church family, and declare what you believe about your faith. So here we go. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended to heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Amen. You can be seated. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for judgment because it is justice. God, we know the punishment we deserve, Lord. We know the things we have said and done that hurt ourselves, that hurt other people and hurt you. So because of that, we throw ourselves at the feet of the cross and pray for your mercy through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we recognize that his death paid the penalty. His death was the justice we deserved. And because of Jesus Christ, we can have a relationship with you. Because of Jesus Christ, we are not judged and convicted as guilty. And we can enjoy eternal life with you. So thank you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.